Hello and welcome to Written in Uncertainty, an Elder Scrolls podcast sat firmly in the grey maybe of Tamriel, and proud member of the Robots Radio podcast network. My name is Aramithius, and today we're looking into something that is pervasive in Tamriel, something that affects the lives of every person on the continent, but something that we as players very rarely see. Today we're asking, what are the languages of Tamriel, and how do they work? Before we get to that, though, I just want to say thank you to my new patrons. So thank you ever so much to Jonah, Consummer, and Andrew for signing up at patreon.com forward slash written uncertainty to get those ex- exclusive access to my notes for each episode and early access to all my content. I do hope you're enjoying it, guys, and thank you ever so much for your support with this. I really do appreciate all of the support I get from everyone, whether that's from Patreon or from the one-off donations from Kofi.com. And if anyone else wants to um, sign up for that, there will be links to all of that in the podcast description. Thank you ever so much for all of your support, guys. I'm always blown away by the support I get for doing this. It's absolutely fantastic. So thank you. And also, if you don't want to commit to anything like that, but you do want to support the podcast somehow, there's a full list of sponsors um, that we can get through the network at writteninuncertainty.com forward slash sponsors. And the main one for those that I'm pointing out this week um, is Green Green Man Gaming. Uh, You can get a 20% discount on anything you buy through the store if you go through the referral link that will be in the podcast description and on the website. You can get full access to all of the sponsors that cover everything from cloud gaming to VPNs and many other things at writteninuncertainty.com forward slash sponsors. And so to the languages then. Before we begin, I'd just like to start with my usual disclaimer. This is just my own opinion about the languages of Tamriel, things I've picked up, and not everything that is known out there. There are several places dedicated to the study and, in some cases, the construction of Tamrielic languages, most notably the Ta'agra project for the Khajiiti language and now the sadly now defunct Thum.org for Dovazul. These projects are typically run by fans with a special interest and they'll have a better grasp on the full implications of the linguistics than I will and because I'm trying to cover everything all in one go and provide a general overview and looking at the thematics and that sort of thing. I also won't be going through and flagging every known word that we have in every known language in the Elder Scrolls because that would make for quite a different sort of podcast. So once again, what I'm aiming to do with this episode is a thematic discussion about what the languages of Tamriel are, what they represent and how they relate to the construction of the world at large. So to the languages then, I first wanted to start off with a discussion about constructed languages, fantasy and how that relates to the Elder Scrolls in particular. Languages in fantasy can have a very core part to play in the creation of the worlds they're part of. It's pretty common knowledge by this point that J.R.R. Tolkien created Middle-earth specifically so that he could have a place for his constructed languages to evolve in. This means that Quenya, Sindarin, Kuzdul and the rest all had a singular vision of what they should be and how they should work. And even if that did change over time, there's been numerous letters and thoughts that have survived um, and been part of a huge amount of correspondence and information that Tolkien wanted to preserve as part of his languages and that has pretty much survived in how these languages are understood and used insofar as they are used today by fans. There are various attempts at neologisms here and there, that is to say new words getting introduced by people who use the language, but most of these languages that are used are the words and the grammar that Tolkien envisioned and can generally be understood by readers and speakers who learned these languages as part of independent communities. Uh, The other claimant for most famous fictional language, Klingon, was similarly designed by a single linguist and has the Klingon Language Institute to be a single source of truth for that language's form and evolution. I mean, Quenya and other Tolkien languages are quite a bit looser than that because there's not necessarily that certainty because unless we have 
definite dates on the letters and the paperwork, it's a little bit difficult to tease out what was the latest thought from Tolkien and whether that would have changed or whatever else. But it's still a single source of authority on what is or isn't a language or part of a language and certainly a single mind guiding its development. Now, that's not the case with the Elder Scrolls, which have had multiple developers contribute vocabulary and occasionally grammar for various languages at various times with different influences at different points in the development of the universe. This makes it a little difficult to arrive at concrete rules for how the languages evolved and how they relate, as different languages will often have been created in isolation from each other, um, or at least by people with different creative impulses, different intents, that sort of thing, which may make some of the evolution of it seem a little odd. I think the best example of this little bit of a mismatch in terms of the treatment is in Elnafex, which is supposedly the language of the Elnafei, and therefore close to what the gods of Tamriel would have spoken, probably. Um, it tends to get treated as the language of the gods, in inverted commas, by the fans, but we don't actually have a whole heap of textual evidence to support that idea um, that, that I can find anyway. But it's kind of spoken as a sort of word of God type thing and emphasised in what samples we do have as something big and important. Uh, several examples of it are in all caps, um, things like words Chim, Altadun, Padhome and so on. Um, and some others which are like Beratu and Nern. There may be some cases for thinking that they aren't Elnafex. Personally, I think that Beratu is some derivative of Altmeris rather than Elnafei as it sounds far too similar to the Aeliodun samples that we have. Uh, so it may be that it's mistaken in its attribution. Uh, the quote saying that it is Elnafex is by Frastus of Elenhir in the book The Bretons, Mongrels or Paragons. So I think it's possible that Frastus is getting something wrong here, and that's that's never happened before. Shock horror. Um, this is made a little worse in my opinion or these effects are exaggerated i should probably say um by the central point of the languages if i can put it that way um when these languages are developed they're generally there to enhance the feel of a narrative and not really to exist as independent entities um in the way that they potentially are in other universes i mean middle earth is the diametric opposite here. Middle-earth was designed so that the languages could have a place to exist in, whereas this is just often added in as a way of adding additional depth to a pre-existing world. Uh, the languages um, have evolved in that way to a degree, but the languages themselves are never really kind of the point, if you like. It means that the treatment of the languages will be somewhat convoluted or somewhat secondary to whatever the writer any given writer is trying to achieve and so now to look at some specific languages within tamriel and kind of pick out what their kind of key features are their characteristics how they're used and what that might mean for the various themes within the elder scrolls then so first as we've already started talking about it i thought i'd go through elnafex Elnafex is a language that is more intimately connected with magic than several other languages, at least in how it's presented in most of the places it's talked about. I mean, granted, this is mostly the 36 lessons of Vivek, so you have to deal with all of the usual issues with the 36 lessons, but we do have Elnafex words directly called spells and words of power in that particular text. They're quite often contextualized as this is spoken as a word of power or something like that, which makes me think that Vivek at least considers them as things that are inherently powerful. Uh, if we take Vivek's teaching at its word, which is it's an unlicensed text, so your mileage may vary, Elnafex feels like something similar to the Thum in that the words themselves contain actual power. To quote from Vex teaching, As with most characters of that dangerous language, that is Elnafex, the sigil chim constantly distorts itself. Those scholars that can perceive its shape regard it as a crowned tower that threatens to break apart at the slightest break in concentration. 
Now, a lot of fans have noted that Chim is inherently unstable, mostly because Chim is seen as an unstable state, something that's hard to achieve and you have to concentrate in order to maintain. Uh, from everything we hear about it in the 36 lessons and in MK's other writings. However, this quote says that most of Elnafex is like that. This means that any Elnafex word is tapping into power, whatever that might mean. And another thing, it's noted as a sigil here rather than a word as such. Now, that implies to me that Elnafex is possibly a more pictorial language than Roman characters, that words in Elnafex are constructed through combinations of different graphical elements in a similar way to Chinese, Japanese, and Korean scripts. That's purely my speculation, though, um, just off the basis of that particular quote, because it gives us a few little nuggets as to how Elnafex is formed. Elnafex also forms the basis uh, for several other languages, and you can find Elnafex elements here and there in other tongues as well. This is most common in Dunmeris, but there's some overlap in Old Meris as well. Things like a Baal meaning stone, according to Gentleman Jim Stacy, and being Elnafex if you take the 36 lessons as very subtle denotation of Elnafex in all caps as universal, because it appears in the list of the House of Troubles given in Sermon 13 in caps. The most common overlap here is in Moorish languages, although given the most commonly accepted origins of the sapient races that are given in the Anuad, you'd expect that Elnafex would have some influence on Manish tongues as well, but we don't really have much evidence for that. It's a little difficult to discern, as in the modern games, everyone everywhere seems to speak Tamrielic, which, according to the description of the Ultma in The Elder Scrolls 3, notes is based on the Ultima tongue. That means that we can't really get a true picture on what Manish tongues sounded like from the state of the speech that we receive in various games. There are some reasons that possibly debate the origin of Tamrilic um, as Altmeri or fully Altmeri, um, which we will get to a little later, but I think for now it's fairly safe to say that if Tamrielic is has non-Manish roots, then we have no real visibility on what Manish languages actually are. Elnafex is potentially the oldest language on Tamriel, and as the root of the various Moorish tongues, is one of the biggest Ur languages on Tamriel. It's one of the biggest sources of common etymology and words that come across different elven tongues. You have several words that are similar in Dunmer and Dunmeris, in Elidun, and in Old Meris, and so you've got some overlap there. Um, the other language that really should have a claim to being one of the Ur tongues of Tamriel, but doesn't really seem to take that kind of a place, is Dovazol, the dragon tongue. I should point out that Dovazol doesn't actually appear anywhere in universe, and it's just an easier way to say that and saying the dragon language all the time. It's a fan term and I'll be using it going forward, just to be clear, but it doesn't have any actual presence in Tamriel or in the Elder Scrolls universe as Dovazol. Dovazol is intentionally written almost as an attempt to create another Ur language or at least an ancient language because its written form is based on cuneiform which is this world's oldest surviving written language. Um, and it was also derived, I seem to remember, because the kind of the marks that you get um, in cuneiform and in the Dovasol inscriptions are intended to simulate something that would be easy to make and scrape out of rock with a claw. So it's a language that the dragons would potentially use themselves. Um, that said, um, the position of Dovazol as a basic dragon language and therefore presumably having quite a large impact on the culture of Atmora, given that the dragon cult originated there and was brought over to Tamriel, I think that contradicts some earlier lore that we have in Before the Ages of Man. That book says this, quote, The Nord culture hero Iskramor 
leader of a great colonizing fleet to Tamriel, is credited with developing a runic transcription of Nord speech based on Elvish principles, and so Iskramor is considered the first human historian. At the time that Iskramor left Atmora, dragon worship was still going on on the continent, and so you'd expect Dovazol to be part of Iskramor's frame of reference here. Unless we infer from this passage that the dragon language was unknown to most of Tamriel's population or to most men, which I think is potentially accurate given some other texts that we have. In particular, the, the book The Dragon War says this, quote, Foremost among all animals was the dragon. In the ancient Nordic tongue, it was dragkon. Occasionally, the term dovra is used, but the language or derivation of that is not known. Using either name was forbidden to all except the dragon priests. The term dovra is key for me here. It sounds like a corruption or a mistranscription of dova, which is the dovazol word for dragon which could imply that the use of Dovazol was disallowed amongst the non-priests in order to reinforce the caste system. Um, or it could just be that the word was forbidden. Um, but if the language was forbidden and was only something that the dragon priests could speak, and that would reinforce the notion of the dragon priests as cultural intermediaries between men and dragons. So... Assuming for a second that it was only something that the dragon priests spoke, uh, then Iskramor could quite easily have developed his writing system in isolation from that because the pre-existing writing system that was used for Dovazol wasn't available to him because he wasn't a dragon priest. However, I think there is some conceptual confusion here. Nine of the word walls that you find in the Elder Scrolls V contain the phrase Nonvulbrun, or Noble Nords. To me, that suggests that the Nords were intended to potentially read these words or at least understand them. Uh, maybe the inscriptions formed some more ceremonial purpose where only the dragon priests spoke it as part of a particular pronouncement that these things were read as part of perhaps a memorial to a dragon or as part of a particular festival commemorating a specific dragon, something like that. We don't really have enough information to see what um, is going on there. Although I think the fact that some Draugr can shout um, indicates that there were potentially some tongues among the secular population as well as the dragon priests. So there were some people, even within the dragon cult society, that could understand and speak Dovazol to a degree. So again, we're back to kind of square one as to why Iskramor didn't use Dovazol as a basis for the written language of men. I also think it's possible that it wasn't really a language that allowed us as full a range of expressions as Iskramor could have wanted. Uh, the development of the dragon wren shout indicates that Dovazol may be somewhat conceptually limited. If they had to invent words in order to come up with terms like finitude and mortality, um, I think then it would severely limit anyone wanting to write something down. If you wanted to say, and on year X, the king died. If you can't physically have a word for died because it doesn't exist in the language you're trying to write in, that limits the scope of what you're trying to achieve. Um, I think that that means that it's tied to the purpose of Dovazol, that Dovazol is one of several languages that has an ideological component to it, and that is that Dovazol is an extension of the dragon's sense of self and dominance, which is possibly one and the same thing. Uh, we have a Lawmaster's archive that is speaking to Camilla Calcivius of the University of Gwylim, which says this, quote, As I'm sure you already know, dragons are conquerors by nature. All my research indicates that the thirst for domination is not unlike our thirst for water in a desert. They need to bring the world to heal. Given that as an important psychosocial imperative, I think it's telling that these words reflect the dragon's view of reality. Remember the words for the dragon wren shout, which are Jur za prul, or mortal finite temporary, 
were constructed by the Nords as part of the rebellion against Alduin, and so they weren't part of the dragon's own lexicon. That limits what kind of things you can speak at, with Dovazol as native forms of expression. Uh, there also seems to be a split between using the language as shouts that affect the world and as a means of communication. Several dragons use words of Dovazol in the game without it having effects on the world, which does contradict some of the things that we understand about the Thum in general. Um, there's, again, this is again due to differences in how the languages were developed because the Nords could achieve miraculous things with shouts before that the um, Dovazol was conceptualized as a dragon language. You had Thum as a shout that a Nord uttered and it wasn't dependent on the dragons. And the text Children of the Sky was written with that idea of things in mind. And in particular, that text says this, quote, The most powerful Nords cannot speak without causing destruction. They must go gagged and communicate through a sign language and through scribing runes. If this is equated with the voice and Dovazol, which the Elder Scrolls V seems to treat as the same thing, then there must be different forms of the language. And you also have the Greybeards able to speak Tamrielic perfectly fine and not cause disruptions, which again goes against this notion that if someone's voice is powerful enough, inherently they cannot speak without causing destruction. Um, so... Children of the Sky also talks about the word being used in a ki, which may be a slight misnaming, as only Akaviri shouts are called that elsewhere. But if it's not, then it also implies that there are other things that go into giving a shout the ability to affect the world. Because when you think about ki's, at least used within an English context, it has a specific meaning. It's a martial arts term. It's not just shout. It's a specific exhalation and vocalization intended to have a specific purpose within the fight. If that's the case, then this means that their use in combat is a different mode of speech than simply using the language to converse. I mean, given Arngir's statement that, quote, there is no difference in the dragon tongue between debating and fighting. There's potentially a rhetorical mode of Dovazol involved here, which is engaged when persuasion or defense or aggressive stuff is required. He, he says debating and fighting, not speaking. Exactly what that mode entails, I don't think we can tell. I've been through the inscriptions on the word walls and you pick up specific points within the phrasing you don't pick up the whole of of the particular inscription i mean part of that is game balance reasons obviously but it also kind of implied to me that there could be something about how that word was used in a particular context that meant that you got access to the mode that allowed you to use it as a shout but i we can't really tell I've looked through the words that are used and they almost seem to be picked at random from the phrases in the word walls. There's no common characteristic of the words that we learn that uh, compared to the ones that we don't that distinguishes them and makes them particularly unique. There's no particular case or they're not a particular type of word. Um, so it's very, very difficult to tell quite what's different about the way that those words are used that makes them learnable as a shout if the, indeed there is a shouting mode or a rhetorical mode to do this all, which I I don't know. It, it would make the most sense to me, but then how we learn them is a bit more of a mystery. Uh, the act of persuading with language, though, um, is kind of key to quite a few things about language in Tamriel. It's similar to some things that are expressed in the book reality and other falsehoods that the world can be bent to be another way if you persuade it to be so the quote um, from that book is this quote to master alteration first accept that reality is a falsehood there is no such thing our reality is a perception of greater forces impressed upon us for their amusement some say that these forces are the gods 
others that they are something beyond the gods. For the wizard, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the appeal couched in a manner that cannot be denied. It must be insistent without being insulting. To cast alteration spells is to convince a greater power that it will be easier to change reality as requested than to leave it alone. Where Dovazol seems to be different from this is that it's not a request, it's a shout, it's a demand. It's a thing that insists that something is the case. This causes reality to change based purely on the force of the language. It also means that Dovazol somehow taps into something primal that allows for comprehension and compliance with the shout because there's something inherent in the use of the language that makes it understandable. When the tongues shout Jur Zafrul at Alduin just before they banish him, his response is, what have you done? What twisted words have you created? Uh, not, what do you say? That means that he comprehended the words and the concepts that were spoken to him. And if you think about it, that's kind of like me saying, and you then responding with, no, I'd prefer it to be on Tuesday, without any thought. Something about Dovazul possibly makes it inherently comprehensible by the universe. And that may be why shouting is considered to be tonal magic by some in the community, because it can have those effects in the same way as Elnifex. It's got the magical quality to the language itself and the context itself uh, in ways beyond kind of weaving them into a spell as such. I also wonder if that very power means that it's difficult to spread it. That quote from the Children of the Sky suggests that powerful languages are just not spoken as often as those that have less metaphysical weight behind them, which leaves the core languages on Tamriel to other tongues. It's not something that you can easily use in day-to-day -day conversation. Chief among those languages that the um, are then used is Aldmeris and its derivatives, and they form the core of most of what we know about the languages of Tamriel, apart from a, a few exceptions, which we'll get to. And as well as possibly being a place, just to unpack it, Aldmeris refers to the language of the Aldmer, which forms a linguistic core to several languages on Tamriel, including Tamrielic itself. As I've already said, the Altma racial description notes that, quote, the common tongue of the empire Tamrielic is based on Altma speech and writing, while Hashvat Antabalist notes in the Elder Scrolls 3 that Aldmeris is, quote, is, quote, very close to modern elven languages. We get all this bundled together in a fantastic statement from Yakum Hershashishi, an Ashlander who says this when you first meet him. Hello, Yakum, speak Ashland. Old elf, not so good speak. The old elf that he's referring to in that phrase is Old Meris. Oldmer literally means the first folk or the elder folk. So old elf is the tongue or, or the language of the old elves. So Assuming that the player character is not walking up to random strangers and speaking in Old Meris directly, which I think would be like walking up to someone and speaking either Shakespearean English in the UK, or if you walked up to someone in Italy and started spouting Vulgate Latin at them, then we can assume that there's a level of comprehension that you can reach between Old Meris and Tamrielic. Even though the languages are somewhat different, Old Meris is clearly the core of Tamrelic and kind of goes with and kind of against that quote from the Otmer racial description in the Elder Scrolls 3. I think the comparison to Latin is probably the best way of thinking about Old Meris in how it's used as well, because we have some evidence that it was spoken as a functional language alongside other tongues, although whether it was a kind of lingua franca across many different places is a little unclear. The Dwemer text, The Hanging Gardens of Western Corridale, is written in both Old Meris and the Dwemer language, as there was no record of full translations of the Dwemer language until the last Dragonborn helped Calselmo with his translation of the Dwemer and Former languages in the year 201 of the Fourth Era, 
although you can make partial translations using the Hanging Gardens text, I kind of think that we have to assume that Old Maris was used by the Dwemer to communicate with other races in written form, most, mostly the Kaima, but we have no real evidence that the practice of using Old Maris to communicate across cultures was widespread out of, outside of Resdane. The existence of the Old Maris language does hint at a shared cultural heritage for most elves, and it points to many similarities with names and places that are shared across elvish languages. However, it's not really clear where the language itself came from. If the idea that the elves are descended from the Alnafei and thence the Aedra were the case, then we'd expect some relation to Alnafex, but I'm not sure that we have enough evidence of similar words or grammar to make that assumption. We have so little of Elnafex that is definitely Elnafex, which makes it very, very hard to work out where Aldmeris may be getting its inspirations from. Possibly the closest successor to Aldmeris as a language is not actually the language that the Altma currently speak despite their claims of a more direct descent from the ways of Old Meris. The alien inscriptions we see in Cyrodiil have several words that are also noted as Old Meris in several places, and I'm going with the Imperial Library's use of the words here and the assessment of where those languages come from. Uh, so it, I know there are some potential uncertainties with that word list, but I'm trusting that the Imperial Library is accurate. I haven't gone through and checked them all myself. Um, but and but basically, the long and short of it is, assuming that word list is true, then the alien inscriptions that we see in Cerodal are also noted to be Old Maris in quite large numbers. And we don't have a similar amount of words for the modern Alt-Murray language. It, it is of course possible that we only notice this because we've got more Aeliadun than we have than we have Altmeris. And yes, I'm just using the term Altmeris rather than Oldmeris. I have no idea if that's the proper term for it. I'm using it now, I don't care. But bearing that in mind as a possibility for why we don't have as much knowledge about Altmeris as we do enough to connect it to Oldmeris directly, I think we have to assume that the Aeliads are somewhat closer to that than the Altma are. And as they were the Heartland High Elves, then I think it's not a terrible leap. And Aeliads were also quite well known for messing around with the substance of reality, uh, something that the Altma haven't had a huge amount of interest in. And if they really wanted to do that, then preserving as much of the older, more powerful languages would make perfect sense for them and the Altma potentially going in a different direction. Unwittingly, probably, because they take a huge amount of care to preserve their previous cultures, but I think that there has been some divergence there that's made Altmeris go some distance away from what Oldmeris is because of the similarities that we have in Aeliadun and nothing else. Having said that, though, the Aeliads don't really mess around with language magic too much, uh, which is a little surprising because you'd think they would like to have all of that power behind them and use it however they can. I think that the language magic that we do have in the Odder Scrolls also says something about the setting, which I'm going to divert and talk about a little bit. This isn't within the context of a particular language, but I think it's just a cool little aside. The Elder Scrolls has something like the finding out the true name of a demon trope, uh, which was introduced in Battlespire with the idea of Nimix. Uh, the idea of Nimix are explained a little rapidly um, in this particular exchange. You have an NPC who starts off the conversation with, I banished Dagon by invoking his protonymic. And then the, piece, and then the player character says, Oh, good work. His what? His protonymic, like a mortal wizard's true name, the focus of incantatory magics, the short hairs. I'm sure it'll do you no good, since his re-emergence from oblivion, he has surely added a neonymic to protect himself against me and anyone else who gets his protonymic. 
Now, from this, we can get that Nimics are language representations of the self, although there's no direct statement of that. It's sort of the idea of almost sympathetic magic, that you change the name or use the name, and then you can alter the self in the same way that you take some blood or a hair or something and bind it up in a voodoo doll. Exactly what they all mean has some different implications for how they function in identity as well. Protonymics are potentially undeveloped in a sense, especially as Mankar Cameron states in the commentaries at one point that he was, quote, was once like you, asleep, unwise, protonymic. Protonymics are the names of a thing that are unchanged or in their natural state somehow. Exactly what would change something from a protonymic to a neonymic um, is not 100% clear, but all the evidence that we have points to it being an intentional act. Neonymics in the quote that we just went through from Battlespire are things that are added to alter that true name, and it's been called by the fans Nimic Surgery. In um, the How it's used in Battlespire is just something that's simply added to a thing's name, or at least it's fairly simple for a Daedric Prince to do. Um, there is an idea in the fandom that Mankar Cameron did something similar with Merun's Razor to achieve various ends, like wearing the Amulet of Kings um, and to speak fire, if you believe the commentaries. However, there's not a whole heap of evidence to back this up as an actual thing that happened anywhere, uh, so it may not be the real explanation. I really like it as a way of explaining things, but the evidence is a little scant. I would imagine that there has been some manipulation of Cameron's Nimic somehow, though, because he talks about the phrase proto-Nimic as sort of a before state, rather than his after, where at the end of Mankar's time in the desert, he is, quote, red drink, razor fed, and can, quote, speak fire. That idea of being razor-fed is another thing that goes into why Merun's razor might be a possible culprit here, because being fed by the razor means being sustained by the razor means um, making the potentially making the razor part of himself or something like that. The razor is involved somehow, and after that point, he can speak fire. So there may be something going on there. There's also a sense, I think, that language in existence may be linked in general. Um, there's some use in Elnafex um, of that sort of wording and that sort of conceptualization that we can investigate if we can just backtrack a little. The words A-E or I, ho however you pronounce it, it's never actually spoken as far as I'm aware in any of the games, but it's the word is in the sense of exists or potentially is equivalent to, according to some parts of the 36 lessons. I've, I've thought that sort of thing in the past, certainly, um, and that seems to be something that's a common opinion within the fandom. It supposedly connotes existence or essentiality in some way. It's a little like um, the, um, the verb in Quenya that Tolkien uses, which is air, um, which is literally to be, to exist which was the word that was used to speak Arda into being. However, I'm a little dubious about that, having looked into it. Um, the Love Letter from the Fifth Era mentions A.E. in multiple places, and I'll just run through those quickly. So you're, get a, you're getting a series of non-contiguous statements here. So, to quote, First was Void, which became split by A.E., and then... Death results in reappropriation of spirit towards its aligned AE, either to the god planet Aedra or the principalities of Oblivion. And then, you in the fourth era have already witnessed many of the attempts at reaching the final subgradient of all AE, that state that exists beyond mortal death. And then, those who do not fail become the new men, an individual beyond all AE, unerased and all being. Now, that's a bit of an info dump, but I think it's helpful to have all of the references condensed and together so you can kind of compare them mentally. AE here is the thing that's 
splits the void, which implies that A is a distinguishing characteristic of something. This is not really exists in an absolute sense, although there is a portion of the Redguard story of in the monomyth that may imply that. Instead, I kind of read it as a divisor. It's split by AE and the split between Aedra and Daedra. Think back to that last quote in the love letter where beyond all AE is all being. That is beyond all division, where the individual is everything. The individual is literally indivisible and contains absolutely everything. The individual is atomic in the original use of the term because atom means indivisible if you go back to Greek. Um, and so there is no way of separating the individual from reality because they are, they are all the same thing. The quote from the Red Guard monomyth that doesn't really back this up is that it talks about Satakal filling everything and there wasn't space for anything to breathe or even be and so Satakal starts eating itself and then space is made and so things can be conceptualized there's and um, there's that idea that is both tying existence to division and to that separation uh, that is um, that's in there but this says to me, um, this says to me, or at least the perspective in the in the love letter from the fifth era, is that existence and division is possibly something that can be se um, can be separated out. And you add to this several passages from the Truth and Sequence, where names are themselves instruments of division. Uh, particularly this from Volume Two, quote: "The Divine Metronome tells us that name." is the wedge that pries gear from pinion, the residue of Locan's great lie that loosens the wheel chain and corrodes the frame. The Etarda gears, named each and each in their way, our lessers see this as a kindness, but the mainspring ever wound causes a curse rooted in selfish pride. To name is to cleave one from the other. In that sense then, AE is that which separates one thing from another, which makes A distinct from not A. It is identity in the technical sense of the word, I guess, which feels very similar to the work that nimics are doing. Neonimic is different from protonimic, or in other words, I'm not the same person I was before, or something like that, to use an English phrase. This makes nimics and the language used to express them a truth about a person, in the same way that the thum is both an expression of a truth about reality and the imposition of that truth itself. I'm not sure whether this is true on the macro level, but it certainly feels that way in the world. Languages are emblematic of cultures, and the ability to say or not say certain things affects a particular culture's outlook or expresses the things that they value. I think this is particularly clear with everyone's favourite Dunmurray insult, Enwa, which is translated variously as slave and foreigner, which means they essentially equate the two, that that reinforces the Dunmer perspective that they are a different type of being from all other cultures on Tamriel. I mean, imagine trying to reach equal terms with a culture that you explicitly say, I'm talking, I'm trying to agree to the slaves being, um, being the same as us or on similar terms to us. The very use of the word discourages you from thinking in those terms. It almost sounds ridiculous to say. And so that sort of thing reinforces the Dunmary perspective that they are superior to everyone else. And it's also something that's been used in the real world as well. Uh, to use a somewhat distasteful real world example, uh, during the genocide in Rwanda in the early 1990s, the government referred to the Tutsi people as Inyenzi, which is literally cockroach. All of the official pronouncements about the Tutsi refer to the Inyenzi. Um, that sort of thing just encourages you to dehumanize everyone else and all the people that are being denoted by that those sorts of terms, and so think of yourself as superior. And so, and it all it forms a physical barrier to you thinking of them as something the same as you. 
And speaking of superiority complexes, I want to spend some time discussing the overall language of Tamriel, um, that is Tamrielic, before we get into some of the lesser spoken languages. Tamrielic is, as I've noted before, um, supposedly based on the language of the Ultma, while Cyrodiilic apparently has different roots to a degree. The book on Wild Elves notes that Aelids speak Old Cyrodiilic rather than Tamrielic which implies that Cyrodiilic has more Aeliadun influence than Tamrielic as a whole. I mean, I'm potentially using this as a cipher for the fact that Aeliadun didn't really exist when On Wild Elves was written, but we'll go with that for now. So caveats all aside, let's get into what that means. Um, if Cyrodiilic has more Aeliadun influence than Tamrielic overall, that makes sense on the face of it, I think because we have a potential real-world comparison um, if we look at the differences between American English and British English. Both are English, but the accents are very different, and some of the words are very different, or used to mean slightly different things. This is because of the relative isolation of American culture over time, uh, with the exposure that happened to Britain um, to many different cultures through having a global empire, British accents changed to a far greater degree from their origin point that, and that the American colonies started from. So given that, uh, we'd expect Tamrielic to essentially be the British of Tamriel in that sense, that, that thing that absorbs all of the different influences of the different provinces, while Cyrodiilic had fewer influences and stayed relatively static. If that were the case, we'd expect the more mobile upper classes to catch other influences more readily than those who don't travel as much. However, it feels like the opposite in this case, or maybe there's something else going on altogether. Across multiple books and time periods, in particular, I found this in The Wolf Queen and A Dance in Fire and the Tribes of Blackwood series. All three of those books note that the aristocracy and military and merchant classes all speak Cyrodiilic rather than Tamrielic. They refer to people speaking good Cyrodiilic and that sort of thing. If this was a gap between The Elder Scrolls Online and the other games, I could understand it. The interregnum starts with Cyrodiilic being the most common tongue across Tamriel and then falls out of use as the influence of the Second Empire crumbles over the centuries. However, the books that are dated in the Third Era still consistently use Cyrodiilic as a speech for these classes. Given that, it feels like the tongue that should change the most because of that should be Cyrodiilic rather than Tamrielic. The only real solution I can see to that is that there's a distinction between the old Cyrodiilic spoken by the Aelids and the Cyrodiilic spoken by the current ruling class of Cyrodiil unless it's the case that the author of The Wild Elves is simply misunderstanding Aeliadun as a form of Cyrodiilic. However, there is also a letter to Thane Ogvar that suggests uh, that at least some giants speak Cyrodiilic in the Second Era. I'm honestly not sure what to make of that. Um, it's a bit out of nowhere. It could well be that giants have learnt to speak Cyrodiilic in order to communicate with the people that they encounter with the various other races, but the people that they are most likely to encounter would be the Nords. So I'm not sure quite what to make of that or if there's any relation between Cyrodiilic and Atmoran. I suppose if it, we're assuming that there's some basis for the tri original tribes of Cyrodiil, the Nedic tribes, to be speaking a form of Cyrodiilic, or whatever Cyrodiilic means, or a Cyrodiilic language family maybe, then you could potentially argue that the giants may understand some of it because the original needs may have migrated from Atmora. That's a maybe. There's a heck of a lot of debate about exactly where the men came from in Tamriel. Um, if you want to go into that, I have done an episode on the origins of men um, in this cast. It's quite some way back, but it is there. So please do go back and have a listen to that 
if you want to investigate that any further. But um, as I'm sort of hinting at here, exactly when Tamrielic arose isn't clear from the text that we have, but it's taken to be the common language in the games as the stand-in for whatever language you're playing the games in. This is even the case in The Elder Scrolls Online, so any elven influence on the language has to have been some distance away from any game that we've actually experienced. I wish we actually had a context for the Altmeri influence on Tamrielic, because we might be able to know if it's wrong and any reasons for that, because this is purely still based off the racial description in the Altmer Morrowind um, startup, which is as close to Word of God stuff as we get in the Elder Scrolls. Um, so I honestly would love to know what kind of a context that is, rather than just saying, yep, Tamrielic is based on the Altmer language. However, at the point it was written in the real world, um, I think that may give us a clue as to what the intent is and quite how we can resolve this little tangle. Uh, the role of the Aeliads in Cyrodiilic culture hadn't been fully developed. They're not mentioned at all in the first edition pocket guides section on Cyrodiil, and they're only hinted at as a vague presence in the wilds at that point. It's only really when we get to the Elder Scrolls 4 and the third edition pocket guide that it, their role of the Aeliads gets a bit more cemented. So I'm almost tempted to hand wave the description um, and say that when they say high elven traditions, they mean heartland high elves. So going back to that descriptor for the Aeliads, that would also mean that Cyrodiilic and Tamrielic are very closely related, but they've grown in different directions, with old Cyrodiilic being the root language for both Tamrielic and modern Cyrodiilic, which the Aeliads preserved through their isolation from the rest of Tamriel to the point where um, Aeliadun and Old Cyrodiilic are almost interchangeable unless you're a linguist because we don't really know who was writing about um, about the wild elves and what their specialization was in looking at the wild elves of Cyrodiil. There are examples of other languages on Tamriel that are affected by the same sort of isolation as we see um, in the context of the Aelids, at least in some ways. And we can look at the different ways in which that isolation has impacts on the language itself. The main ones I want to look at here are Yoku and Gel. The isolation has had profoundly different effects on those respective languages, so I'm going to treat them in turn. In the case of Yoku, the first edition pocket guide states this, quote, Yoku, the Red Guard oral language, was almost entirely replaced as the need for foreign commerce and treaties increased. Note here that it says almost entirely replaced, so not 100%. You can hear some NPCs still using Yoku in the Elder Scrolls Adventures Red Guard, which is set in the same year that the pocket guide was published. So there are some signs there that Yoku is still around at that point, and I think it might be being overemphasized by the pocket guide um, in that the people, the kinds of people that the Imperial Geographic Society were speaking to in getting their information for the pocket guide weren't what going to the people who primarily spoke Yoku. They would have gone to those who were friendly to the Empire, to the forebears, and so had those that kind of exposure that way and so the people who are more inclined to speak yoku the crowns they would have seen far less of and and particularly we also have um an indication that yoku is still around because in the lord of souls novel we have a penitus oculatus agent having some rough knowledge of yoku although if i remember correctly that was written yoku rather than spoken yoku um which suggests that Yoku is still around somewhere and still has some use in an intelligence context in the fourth era. So I'd be surprised if the Natatambu let their language completely wither away, um, as they were very, very concerned with the preservation of Yokudan ways and keeping things as close to Yokudan as they could. However, I think it's clear that much has been lost, even with the efforts of the crowns to preserve things. The book, The Natutambu of Yokuda, notes this, quote, Despite this fanatical veneration, much Yokudan knowledge was lost to time and feuds between the factions. 
The eldest crown scholars scathingly chide the modern Reds guards as mere cultural shadows of their ancestors. I'd expect the use of the language would be one of the things to go along with that. The forebears would likely have dropped the language relatively rapidly. Yoku would have been a totally different base of language to everything that's spoken on Tamriel and so wouldn't be understood through its similarities and picked up by the trading class themselves. However, for those communities that didn't have to interact with the outside world, it would have stayed much more intact. It would likely have homogenized a bit. Um, as Yokuda was a continent, there may have been many different languages or at least dialects spoken there, but we're only really aware of Yokudan. It's like saying European is a language potentially, although we do have the suggestion that it's only really one culture from Yokuda that made it over. So maybe what we're talking about as Yokudan in inverted commas is just the language of the regatta and there were other languages spoken. Maybe the Hiradurge had their own tongue, the left-handed elves certainly did, and there may be other ethnic groups that aren't mentioned that have their own way of speaking. Uh, Yokudans and Redguard culture may also have a way of shaping the language itself based on cultural taboos that we don't really see in other cultures on Tamriel. There's already the sense of conscious self-preservation by the Natatambu, and they've got a culture that is more concerned with taboos and the right sorts of actions compared to other cultures. The Unveiled Azadie says this in the Zakin's Many Heroes Lawmaster's Archive, quote, we speak no more of the left-handed elves, may curses follow them to the eight abysses. For to recall their abominations but darkens our days, and who can say how many each of us shall have before Tuwaka beckons us, say that they will be too few. This is basically saying, we don't talk about it because it's a bad thing. This is also a historian not wanting to talk about history. <laughs> and that's a sentiment that's echoed elsewhere in that Lawmaster's archive. If you have that sort of a culture that's being relatively open about excising things from history and not wanting to talk about bad things, if it's a culture that is readily not wanting to use words and languages that don't serve that culture's purpose, then you're going to see a very, very restricted type of, of language that will self-censor and only express certain concepts as we talked about earlier. Gel is likewise shaped by a philosophical outlook that has deeply affected its language, um, although this has never really changed as such, so far as we can tell, which is supposedly quite ironic. Um, this quote from the book Murky Time expresses one of those differences between Gel and the rest of Tamriel and goes into some of that philosophical outlook. And I think it's just a beautiful way to think about stuff. Quote, You see, as far as I can tell, gel has no tenses, at least nothing that we'd recognise as a tense. The closest substitution I've heard interpreters use is old and new. They talk a great deal about changing and becoming, words that imply forward motion. But again, these words are obfuscated by all manner of arcane terms and concepts that even I can't decipher. For a language that has no tenses, it's speaking in an ever-constant present where past and future are of no real value. That seems to match Argonian values where the present is all that really matters, and as well as that, all that really matters in terms of acknowledging the state of a thing is change, so that you need to find some way of acknowledging that change either has happened or will happen or some combination thereof. So you've got changing, becoming, being focuses for how the words are used. They're not precisely tenses, but they could potentially function as contextualizations and not exactly cases because it talks about words meaning changing and becoming. Um, but I think cases is probably the closest we'll get to. Gel is also not related to any other language on Tamriel as befits a race that emerged from entirely different origins. It uses body language for its full expression, including elements unique to Argonian physiology, although it's possible that Khajiit could have a decent approximation of it if there are certain tail motions involved, but I don't know. Uh, 
But assuming that it's all precisely geared to Argonian physiology, that means that no one other than an Argonian can actually speak gel. I don't think it's a matter of body language providing context and emphasis, but actual words as well. Although these are often context to what's actually being said from what we can tell, um, such as expressions of emotion. Uh, we get Argonians, when they try to speak Tamrielic, um, referencing what they think would be a spine movement in gel. So you get terms like I erect the spine of sympathy, um, which is kind of assuming that the expression of emotion that they're conveying in words should be part of the physiological display of the language, which it would be if they're speaking gel. It also provides a nice kind of counterpoint to the idea that Argonians speak in a monotone. It's because they can't actually understand how to convey language purely through using your vocal cords. And so we'll just have to carry on being more or less monotone, regardless of whether they're terrified for their life or whether they are falling madly in love with something. And because you have no way of kind of expressing that emotion, no cultural inculcation of what all of those variances mean, you end up with a very distinct way of speaking Tamrielic, quite apart from actually speaking gel. Gel uh, has also not been snuffed out in the same way as Yoku, because it's not been disrupted in the same way. Most Argonians don't leave Black Marsh, they don't need to, and they don't interact with non-Argonians very much. As a result, gel carries on being its own thing independently of the rest of Tamriel. I am slightly surprised that we don't get references to different gel dialects, as each Argonian tribe is made very clear, has its own traditions and stories and cultural practices. So I'd expect tribal language variants to follow. Given that Elder Scrolls mentions dialects and such elsewhere, it's a bit of a weird omission in this case. And that's about it. I'm going to leave that question kind of hanging um, because that's about all I've got to say about the languages for Tamriel at the moment. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening. I do hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, just to say that in, finally I want to highlight that there is another podcast project that I'm starting up. Um, I'm starting a, a podcast on the Exalted role-playing game it's a combination of explaining the setting and talking about GM tips and storytelling hooks and how to use various setting elements in order to make your games of Exalted better. It will be called The Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny. When it launches, if you know Exalted, you know thoroughly why flowery language is a thing in the setting but um be ready for that to arrive at some point and watch this space that does mean that potentially written in uncertainty may slow down a bit more than it already has i'm well aware that this has taken multiple months to get this episode ready but um we'll have to see how it goes my personal circumstances have changed a little bit um since the beginning of the new year and so hopefully i'll be able to work alongside both podcasts in tandem and I think that's about it for now. If you do have any questions at all about the podcast, anything you want me to discuss, uh, particular topics for the next episode or just comments that you want to make, please do drop me an email at writteninuncertaintypodcast at gmail.com. And I do believe that will be it until next time where we will be looking once again at a specific person in Tamriel's history and asking the question, who is Veloth? And until then, this podcast remains a letter written in uncertainty. You've been listening to Written in Uncertainty, a podcast written and hosted by Aramithius and mixed and mastered by Dopportunity. The music for this podcast has been kindly provided by Jan Glimbotsky. Check them out on SoundCloud under Songs from the Lost Land, and I'll see you next time. Do you love the Mass Effect series, and are you looking to learn even more about Mass Effect? The things that you didn't even know that you didn't know? Well, this is your host, 
Tom, or robots, and me and my co-host N7Legend do a show called The Mass Effect Lorecast. It is available on whatever podcatcher you're listening to this right now. We also do it live on twitch.tv slash robotsradio, 1030 Eastern, 730 Pacific on Sunday nights. So go look it up right now, The Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to have you join us. Hey, I'm Pylon. And I'm Doc. And if you've ever played an Elder Scrolls game, you've probably used UESP.net to help you find information about a quest, dive deeper into lore, or really learn anything about the Elder Scrolls. But did you know we have a podcast too? Every week we bring you the latest in Elder Scrolls news, dig deeper into topics surrounding the game, and have a ton of fun while doing it. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher by searching the unofficial Elder Scrolls podcast. Can't wait to see you all there. Ahoy there, ye landlubbers. Avast, my name is Captain Logan, and I'll be your guide out on the Sea of Thieves. If you love the idea of stealing treasure, cutting down cursed skeletons, fighting off krakens, and raiding forts filled to the brim with shinies, then Sea of Thieves is the game for you. Join me each week as I dive into the news and bring back the nuggets of information that any sailor worth their weight in salt would desire. You don't have to be a pirate legend to gain access to my podcast. Just search for Keelhauled, a Sea of Thieves podcast in your podcast app of choice or head over to robotsradio.net or captainlogan.podbeam.com and get ready to set sail for adventure. Arrgh.